Wow, I wanted to talk about the collect. No, the collect. The do you know it's like a, it's a verb and it's a and it's also a noun and we use it like a noun. So, do you know who started it? Anyone? Fifty-four thousand dollar question. Do you know the answer? Who started it? The church. <laughs> church. Eh, no. Try again. How about an Anglican person? Yes. Yep, yep, yep. The Archbishop, I guess of Canterbury, when I say that, right? Okay, so he put together, he wanted to have something for, you know, I hate to mention it, but you know, <laughs> well, there was a dividing of, some Christians that didn't want to be Catholic anymore, and so we ended up having uh, a Reformation. And uh, some people in different countries did different things, right? And so the Anglicans were one of the groups that kind of rose up. And so the Archbishop wanted to have a common book of prayer so that everybody could have it, and they could read it and not be in Latin, and not only that, that no matter where the church was, anywhere that the, an Anglican church was, everybody could be on the same page. So, like, this is in your Book of Common Prayer. You can look up today's stuff. And this is the year C. They figured out, like, years they have letters and different. They don't do the same thing every year on the same. But, but you can find out what year it is based on the way, the way they figured this out. I, thought, I just thought it was great that they figured it out like this. And you can, so you, you can, anytime that you want to be with a bunch of other Christians around the world doing the same thing at the same time, or not the same time, but, you know, on the same day, you can do that, right? So in the year 1549, when he uh, introduced the common book of prayer, the collect was part of this. And the collect is, um, it's, it's a simple prayer meant to, to gather the intentions of the people and the focus of worship into a succinct, you know, and succinct means like little compact thing, a succinct prayer, okay? So it means it's going to be short. And they all are more or less fit a pattern that was developed by the archbishop and so they've got four parts to it. So the next time we do one, you think, like, I wonder if that one followed the four parts. Okay, so the first one is, it's, there, there is an address to God and to his character or actions in the world on our behalf. The second one is, there's always includes a request. And then the next one is, there is it kind of moves along and gets to an invocation and a doxology. Ooh, okay, doxology, another one of those words, depends... You might not know what that means. Doxology is a short hymn, or it could be a phrase of praises or praise to God. And then the final thing is, there is the amen. What does amen mean? Yeah, so be it, or let it be so. Yep, so now you know. Formulaic, ooh, that, that's a librarian talking. Only a librarian would use a big, long word like that. And then they would pull out the card saying, I see you have a, a 
borrowed a book in the last year. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I guess so. Well, the script in Hebrews, it says, forsake not, I'm doing King James, forsake not the assembling of ourselves together, right? So whether we're in a room like we are now, it, it says one place, wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm in, I'm in their midst, right? So physically, you can. Of course, you can meet with God. It's just you and you can go get in your closet, so to speak, as they say. You can go privately and meet with God or meet with couple other Christians, it just takes one other, two of you, and God's presence is increased there. Or we can gather like this. We have people in other, uh, they're just a few seconds behind. If you're, if I'm in the room playing with, with the phone to see how Karen looks up there and her mouth's moving, but it's not talking on the phone, and then the phone talks. So it's like, you know, there's a little seconds, like a delay of all that. But we're doing things, and... kind of neat did i answer what you ah yes in fact it, it uh, uh one of the things that i found after a while because i was raised southern baptist i didn't even know what a, a book of common prayer was for a long time and uh after i got one because i started hanging out with my wife and um she visits uh, um, Episcopalian Episcopal churches uh, in America which is kind of like how the Anglican anyway okay so uh, I started reading the prayers and different parts in there and like wow if you have been working on some written down prayers adjusting them since 1546 they're pretty powerful little things. Like you think about what if every single word, what if you had a paragraph that you just said and then you wrote it down, right? And then you kept it and you went back and you went, you know, I'm going to use that. Or somebody said, I wish I had a copy of that. And so you, you go over it and you go, you know, I think I'll change like a couple of words. You make it more precise. And then what if you kept doing that for, oh, I don't know, 500 years. Do you, th do you think it would get to be more and more powerful and precise and like just the right choice of words? And I noticed that, that when I go and look up uh, something, maybe I'm going to do a wedding or, do, or there, there's a lot of things in the Book of Common Prayer. It's just a wonderful, if, you, if you've got scripture, you've got it. But if you could have a second book, a common book of prayer is a great additive if you're somewhere else in the world because you can run church with those two things. You can get everything done. And not only that, but it really, you really, you can turn into a time of meditation looking at those prayers. I don't know if, if you're that way, Jamie, but yeah, as a librarian, would you not say that it's a quite useful series of words? A benefit. And that's just not because you're pressing something in Rainbow City and you work there, right? <laughs> Jamie will give you a Rainbow City Library card if you go there. That's good. That's good. I should have brought the microphone. I, need, I should go wireless and bring 
Okay, yeah. Yeah, you just you're just above a whisper over there. I don't know, Karen, if it'll like go all the way. Okay, so this is the third Sunday of Advent, right? And so uh, I threw Jamie off by telling her, I said, hey, if you'll send it to me. Of course, I could have looked it up, but she, I knew she knew where it was. Uh, I, I will look at the verses and, and preach from that. So these are from the verses. You know, there's always one from the gospel. There's one from the um, epistles. There's an Old Testament reading. And that's the, yeah, like a psalm or something, yeah. Yes, that was, that's, that's called the, there's a name for that too, but. Oh, okay, well, there was another, but I didn't use that one, okay. So, I'm going to do, uh, speak from Zephaniah, and then I'm going to follow that up. But that's the Old Testament reading. And then we'll follow it up with a little, the little piece from a, um, Philippians from the epistle. I'm not going to go to the reading, which is in Luke. You can look it up. I should have looked it up and told you where it was uh, from the Gospels. So uh, as I think about it, hardship among our uh, fellowship of people continues. People uh, just things, sickness, di different things going on. And now we have had uh, a, a cold front come through, which is always, when something happens, you, you, we don't know. We don't know. We know there's an enemy. We know God rules. We know in one way God lets things happen and and other times turns things from happening so you go it it's spiritual it's it's terrible things in illinois and all up in there and and uh kentucky had some really uh it hit across town from the camel capital bills vineyard um uh, there it, it didn't get near their church but some of their people's homes were destroyed uh, I think, and so, um, so, and this is the Sunday of joy, and we've sang about that, but I'm going to back us up to get us in touch with before joy. So, Zephaniah chapter 1 for a minute. Zephaniah is a prophet who came on the scene in the year 636 B.C. And uh, his, these chapters of his uh, fall between 636 and 623 B.C. So, you know, the numbers are counting down toward Jesus. So it's like a 13-year period of time. And we believe, we can't prove it, but we believe that him becoming like the vocal prophet in Judah. Uh, you know, the northern kingdom has already been carried off, and Judah is still there, and Josiah, the young king, is there. Now, he's young, and he's going to discover the next year, in the year 622 B.C., they are going to find the book of the law. Now, I know it sounds, well, they're Jewish, 
Well, yeah, but uh, they kind of misplaced Moses and the writings, the uh, Septuagint, the all of the histories, the, the, the scriptures that they had, had gotten buried, lost, whatever, at the, probably at the Library of Jerusalem, somewhere in a back room. Uh, and some librarian probably came across this and went, ooh, King would probably like to look at this. Now, you've been having a prophet speaking down through the, the last few years, and then they discover this, and when they discover it, it pricks their heart. And a great revival takes place in Israel to the sense that they have been, you know, the enemy just hates God. I mean, he hates everybody, but he really hates God, and he hates God's people. And Israel was the, the, his people who their behaviors, you could find out what this creator God, the real one, was really like. And then you could compare him to people, I mean, to God, little g, like Molech and them, who sacrificed children in the fire and find out that, oh, that's just one of them. Up on top of the hills, you would see worship centers way off around the seven, around Jerusalem. I said seven, that's wrong. Uh, Around the mountains around Jerusalem. And they weren't all to God. They were to other gods. So this stuff was going on. So here comes Zephaniah. And I'm just going to read some of the things because it is, I want us to get in touch with that um, God was angry. So God says to him, this is chapter 1, verse 2, I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth. This New American Standard, I'm reading from that translation. Declares the Lord, I will remove man and beast. I will remove the birds of the sky, the fish of the sea, and the ruins along with the wicked. I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this place and the names of the idolatrous priests along with the priests. You're going to just wipe them out. Their names aren't going to even be listed anymore. And those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven, you can see what's going on, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear by Malcolm. So, <laughs> I'm a good Jewish person. I swear by the Lord. And then they turn around and they swear by one of the, not, not God, but these other gods. Like, they, they talk out of both sides of their mouth. Uh, wow, verse 6. And those who have turned back from following the Lord and those who have not sought the Lord, or inquired of him. They've left God. And what scares me, kind of, I don't know if scares the right word, what, what doesn't make me a happy camper is we're one out of 183 countries in the world, and you can just sign our name off on all this stuff. Christianity in this country right now is growing lesser and lesser of as an influence on this culture. 
Uh, some countries, it's growing. Others, it's, they're in worse shape than we are. I mean, it's, it's always all of them are, you know, growing toward God, moving away. Nothing sits still. Verse 7, be silent before the Lord God. For the day of the Lord. Now, whenever you hear the day of the Lord, that means he's going to come with, with, you know, switches and uh, the woodshed kind of thing, ever how bad it is. For the day of the Lord is near, and the Lord has prepared a sacrifice, and he has consecrated his guests. And then it will come about on the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's sons and all who clothe themselves with foreign garments. Now, what he means by that is that when they go to worship these foreign things, they wear the way that the foreign god, people that worship them, would wear. They would dress up. You, you knew that they were going to Baal to worship because they wore their Baal outfit. You know, probably got a little tie with a mitten on You know. Verse 9, And I will punish on that day all who leap on the temple threshold. Now, you know what that means? You have to remember. You remember the time it's like they brought in their God into, into God's, um, where they were worshiping the living God, and they brought their false statue of their God, and the God fell over during the night. Remember that part? He fell over, so they stood him back up uh, the second night. Yeah, they stood him back up like, oh, you know, we must have not got him set up properly. And on the next night, it fell over again, but this time it broke off his hands and his wrist and his head on the threshold of the doorway into the place to worship the living God. And so, from then on, everybody stepped over the threshold because this was such an act of God that they didn't want to be touching the same place where the false God's head had broken off. Okay? So they would step over the threshold every time you went to worship. Everybody did this. This was the habit. So, when you read this part, it's... it's it's a takeoff on this. The prophet's saying, I will punish on all those who leap on the temple threshold. They are making fun of this practice, which was only a practice to remind everybody that God is greater than statues to false gods. So they're making fun of God, and they're Jewish. who fill the house of their Lord with violence and deceit. On that day, declares the Lord, there will be the sound of a cry from the fish gate. He's just naming places, the second quarter. A loud crash on the hills, the inhabitants from nearby, and all the people of Cana, which is down the coastline, will be silenced, and all who weigh out silver will be cut off. Okay, that means what? Money changers. That means business people. You exchanging rates from different places. So, so they're going to be cut up. Verse 12, it will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps. It's going to be a nighttime thing. I will punish the men who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good or evil. Again, it's judging. Doesn't matter which country it is. When people 
start making fun of the living God, unless they repent, a clock starts. And down the road, some point, sometime, judgment will come on that nation. He has not stopped doing this. Moreover, their wealth will become plunder and their houses desolate. And yes, they will build houses, but they won't inhabit them. They'll plant vineyards, but they'll not drink their wine. Near is the great day of the Lord. Near and coming very quickly. Listen, the day of the Lord is the warriors crying out bitterly. And then he lists just the day of wrath. It's a day of trouble, a distress, a day of destruction and desolation. Can you imagine a prophet standing out in the street saying all this thing at the top of their lungs? In Jerusalem, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet and battle cry against the fortified cities and against the high corner towers, all the stuff that you use to protect yourself when you build, you know, your, your, your walls and stuff around it. I'll finish the chapter and quit kind of on this. Verse 17, and, and I will bring distress on men so that they will walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord and their blood will be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung and neither their silver nor their gold will be able to deliver them and on the day of the Lord, on the day of the Lord's wrath and all the earth will be devoured in the fire of his jealousy and he will make a complete end into a, a terrifying one of all the inhabitants of the earth. So in chapter 2, he starts seeding a few little phrases. He says, gather yourselves together. And then he says, verse, in verse 3, he opens by saying, seek the Lord, all you humble of the earth. You who have carried out his ordinances, seek righteousness and humility. Now, Karen, that was in your closing prayer. You were saying these things. Because God was putting that in your mouth. And as I was sitting back there and I knew where I was going with this, I went, this is what marks us as God's people. Instead of us acting like what we have just gone over in chapter 1, which there are people numbers of people in this nation acting this way. I don't think it's a Sunday school group that's grouping together, going into stores and stealing stuff and breaking everything open with, you know, and, and taking it and then going and putting it on the Internet to sell it or give it to their... It's not the Christian. Hopefully not. Because if it's ones that say that they are, then I'd say, well, it's in name only. They don't really know him. Because they wouldn't have gone and done it. And if they had, because their friends were doing it, when they got alone and the Holy Spirit started talking to them, they would repent of doing this and they'd quit doing that with their friends and breaking out windows and doing stuff. It's all spiritual, it's always spiritual. At the heart of it, it's spiritual. How about, let's go to chapter 3 for just a second. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, 
the tyrannical city. She heeded no voice. She accepted no instruction. She did not trust in the Lord. She did not draw near to her God. You can just flip that around. You want to walk with God? Then in verse 2, heed the voice of the Lord. Accept instructions of what he said. Trust in the Lord. Draw near to him. He mentions about reckless prophets and about priests that profane, you know, that that do defiling things in the sanctuary in verse 4. And verse 5, he says, The Lord is righteous within her. He will do no injustice. There's another sign of Christians' hearts. Justice, doing justice. Every morning, he says, he brings his justice to light. He does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. Verse 8, he says, therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord. That's something that we can do no matter what we see going on. And then we get to the part that was in listed today for the Sunday of Joy. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. After all this has gone on, well, let's see, let's back up to chapter 3, like in 11. In that day you will feel no shame because of all your deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst the proud, exalted ones, the ones that you'll never again be haughty on my holy mountain. And I will leave among you a humble and lowly people, and they will take refuge in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel will do no wrong, tell no lies, nor will the deceitful tongue be found in their mouths, for they will feed and lie down, and no one will make them tremble. God only lets things like this go on so long, what's really in men's and women's hearts. And then he brings change. And even the rebellious ones become change agents. Even people that were known for transporting people and selling them as slaves. 
they end up writing songs like Amazing Grace. Verse 14, shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout and triumph, O Israel, rejoice. Exalt and with all your heart, O, o people of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear the disaster no more. In that day, it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior is going to be born as a baby, laid in a manger, down with the cattle. He'll start that way. Now he's seated in the place of honor next to God our Father. The Father said, sit here until I make your enemies your footstool. And Dad is going to send him back. And he's coming as a warrior king, loving but fierce. And there will be no more death. And there will be no more sorrow because he is going to collect them up. And all the rebellious angels that have left at this war in heaven will be collected. And they too will not be free. And a new heaven and a new earth. And he will be the, the light of glory from his presence. Will replace the brilliance of the sun. You'll always know where Jesus is wherever you are on the earth. Because wherever the light's coming from, you know if you went directly toward it like looking into the sun. If you know the light's coming from over there, there's where Jesus is. The light's coming from over there, well, he's over there now. You'll know. You'll know. You'll probably take everything in you just to keep doing whatever assignment that you're on because you just soon go hang out on the edges of places. Just want to be near him. Going to be quiet in his love, he says. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. I will gather those who grieve about the appointed feast. They came from you, O Zion. The reproach of the exile is a burden on them. Behold, I'm going to deal at that time with all your oppressors. I will save the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will turn their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. And at that time, I'll bring you in, even at the time when I gather you together. Indeed, I'm going to give you renown and praise among all the peoples of the earth. And then I'll restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. They will brag, I was born in Jerusalem. And you know, we won't feel bad about it, that we weren't. We'll go, wow, what an honor. I'm glad to know you. Really? Tell me some more stories about Jesus, about God. A bunch of storytelling, a bunch of testimonies of different Christians of how and what, how old they were and when they met him and, and encounters and things that they've seen him done. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4 through 7, talking to the church at Philippi, encouraging them and whatever's going on. 
this doesn't carry the weight if you've not tasted pain and suffering. I wish you didn't have to. I wish you just sense it from the beginning, but that's not the way it is. What you just heard was because they've come through dark places. They know when the light comes. They know when the peace comes. Can you imagine being a Jewish person under the Nazis and the allies free you? And then they give you a country. They give you a home. Now, you got to kind of fight for it. But in 1948, they get to go collect it up. And so many, a certain number of them land in Israel. And they kind of have to fight for it over the next few years and kind of get it settled. And then they start looking for Jews around the world. And they start collecting money, just like Christmas gifts. The Jewish people in the United States did this. They collected money to pay for planes, for airfare, to fly people there. And you see the old black and white pictures of them. Coming down off the plains and kissing the ground. That's just a little version of when this is all over. And Jesus is ruling. His people are all gathered together. And there's no more tear. There's no more sadness. And the king that came as a baby and followed his father's will to the very end has made peace everywhere. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplications with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God in the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Even so, come quickly, Lord. Lord, whoever's watching that needs your touch, will you come to them right now, Holy Spirit, and encourage them or follow up on them. We have seen you do it. We have heard about you doing it other places. Right this moment, there's nothing that separates you from them. May they cry out to you and go, help, Lord. In Jesus' name, come upon them today. And if not today, tonight. And if not tonight, tomorrow. Encourage them as they cry out to you.